United are coming off wins against Sheriff and West Ham, having gone unbeaten through their last eight, and having not dropped points in consecutive league matches since match week two. The football hasn't been perfect, but things are looking up for Eric Ten Hogg's Red Devils. Today on Devils in the Details, Case and I discuss roadblocks to the side becoming even better, as well as some polarizing players at the club. Case, what did you make of those two results, and more importantly, those two performances last week? I thought generally it was positive. West Ham was bumpy, but progression isn't linear, and I think there were still some positives to look at. Sheriff, I, I, th- I felt we, we kind of dominated. I, I didn't really see them getting even a, a sniff in this match. I think on XG they had .1, and I think that's pretty reflective of like the states of play. This is a pretty dominant performance, as it should be. I mean, no disrespect, but... Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that game. I didn't get the chance to watch it. As usual, your host hasn't done his homework. But um, I I find these games typically not too insightful just because of the level of the opposition. But let's just touch upon it for about maybe five minutes and and what you thought about the game. Uh, maybe a little bit about Alejandro Garnacho starting the match. It was his first start in senior football, by my understanding. Yeah, um, interesting move. I think you and I were both discussing before that match how we felt it was a little odd that he was starting over Alanga. Ultimately, Alanga got to start at the weekend, and we'll get to that later. But I thought it was a mixed bag from Garnacho. He obviously looked bright, was looking to take on his defender, uh, looked pretty good in isolation, was going both directions around fullbacks, which I know a lot of people wanted to see, and were frustrated with Antony and Sancho for not doing earlier in the season. I felt on the other side of things, doing a pretty job from a decision-making, a pretty poor job from a decision-making standpoint. He missed a lot of easy layoff passes. I didn't feel his timing was very good with the overlaps. That'll come with time. He is really young. I think overall this was a positive display because I wouldn't really have expected much from him in, in the way of contributing this season. And I think clearly this performance showed that he may be able to. Yeah, my typical observation with Garnacho is, um, one, I think he has a lot of the traits that people that that we have been talking about and, and also people have started to see are kind of missing in the first team setup um, things like the willingness to dribble at players and um, and that kind of top end pace and and a lot of 1v1 stuff that I think could be useful my concern is I think these wingers that tend to have really good burst at youth level and kind of uh, mixed source of actual output once they get close to goal tend to struggle with scaling to the senior game um, and that's where I don't really know where Garnacho's role might be in the squad going forward. But I think it's really nice to see players like that getting opportunities in games like this. I was a bit disappointed not to see more of Ilanga and uh, and Donny van de Beek in these Europe League group stages now that they're pretty much over. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, I'd like to see those players get some more minutes as well. Um, and I also agree about Garnacho scaling. I think the the big question mark with him is... What is his standout skill at senior level? Uh, obviously, at, at youth level, he was super direct. He was a goal scorer. I think the things that make an elite goal scorer at youth level are not the same as the things that make an elite goal scorer at senior level. Uh, and I don't see the rest of his game in terms of what he offers in build-up, what he offers positionally, what he can do from a creative standpoint, really measures up. So what he really needs to be is effective as a hyper-direct goal-scoring first winger. Uh, and then other parts of his game need to come around too. So I, And I mean this by no means to write him off, but he's got a very specific path that he needs to follow um, to really be a, a major contributor for the senior side. And that's not to say that he won't. Uh, he's 18, I think. Uh, so it would be far too early to say he won't. And this was a, a bright performance. Awesome. Is there anything else you wanted to highlight from the Sheriff game, or should we move on to West Ham? Uh, not in particular. I thought overall it was a, a solid performance. Anthony got taken off at halftime. A lot of people made a big deal out of that. Uh, I think now the it's clear that he was maybe injured. A lot of people wrote it up to him showboating. Who cares? 
for in my opinion, who cares? Like it, it was obviously a little goofy how it worked out, but if he spotted a good pass after he did that seven twenty spin on the ball thing, it didn't come off, and so it looked ridiculous. But ultimately, I don't think it matters, and I, I highly doubt that's why he was substituted. West Ham. I thought United were pretty good in this game. I don't know what the standard is, but I think maybe where people um, are not as sure about United is the fact that I don't think um, their dominance manifests in either the scoreline or the attacking output of the team. And then I think they often spend the last sort of 20 minutes of these matches um, chasing the game a little bit or, or uh, trying to prevent the equalizer um, from the opposition. Why defensively do you think United might be struggling to see these games out? I think in this match, I, I'm not sure I would tie this together into a, a repeating narrative, mostly because the press uh, was not as good against West Ham. And I, I felt especially in the second half uh, that led to West Ham penetrating deeper into the box, into into not into the box, but into wide areas and then getting crosses into the box. And that ultimately, we defended those crosses well, uh, but that puts you deeper in your own half starting possession to begin with. And then I felt playing out of our own half, we sort of fell back into old habits. Being too direct, being sloppy in that directness, uh, I think in particular the culprits there were Casemiro and Bruno, and that really prevented us from controlling the match uh, later on in the game. And that's not to say that this isn't a trend, I just mean to say I felt what happened at at West Ham was a little bit different from what we we've seen happen earlier in the season, where where sort of players just get kind of tired and struggle to see out the match. If you want to look at other matches where United seem to lose control or seems to sit back and have to like bite their fingernails, you'd look at uh, perhaps the Leicester match, the 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 Liverpool match, and and I would while there's obviously common threads, I would say each of those are different cases, right? Liverpool was really early in the season. I think the reason we got pinned back is because I think it would have gone poorly if we tried to establish possession and like hold on to the ball at that point in the, the squad's progression to, to see out that match. I think the clear thing, to, the, the obvious thing to do was to do what we did, which was try to hit them on the break. I was really dissatisfied with the Leicester performance. I thought we were super open out of possession throughout the match, even though Leicester didn't really create big shots in the in, in our own box, things could have easily gone differently. I think we could have dropped points in that match, personally. How those two differ from West Ham, for me, is that I felt we were pretty good, especially the first 60, 60 minutes, let's say, and then we fell off. And I felt, you know what, you're right, there's probably an aspect of that that's tiring, probably recurring issues from previous matches, but I felt in particular this was down to sloppiness on the ball and press kind of not being quite as good as you'd like to be. So let's, let's, you've now said twice kind of the press not being as good as in prior matches. And last week we basically did a half hour on how United are pressing. Um, and I thought there were similarities to both the Spurs game and the Chelsea game in terms of how United pressed here. Why perhaps then was it falling apart compared to those games where I thought it looked quite good? So... I think we want to touch on this more later, but I felt from the front, and when I say from the front, I mean the front four was just not executing as at, as, as high a level. Um, and maybe that's because there was a little bit less uh, fixture-specific preparation for this match. But I'm speculating here. I don't know that for a fact. Um, but I think with Chelsea and Tottenham, we were very prepared for how they were going to start out the game. Uh, and so the press, I think the players were briefed on the importance of executing their roles very specifically. Uh, we talked last week about the hybrid press, uh, making those decisions properly. In this match, I think you see a lot of instances where, and I, I'm just going to say these in order of how these sequences would go. It's not in order of blame. First, you would see Cristiano being a little bit less intense than you would see Rashford being, for instance, initiating the press on the center backs. What that would allow them is a little bit extra time on the ball, uh, which Bruno would typically look to close down on. And Alonga would often do the same thing and they'd miscommunicate. Uh, and what that wound up doing was creating a lot of instances where 
West Ham could play through the first line of the press, or even around. It wasn't, this is why I say the press wasn't a mess. It wasn't always super incisive from West Ham, but they were able to sort of exploit miscommunications, like I said, to go around the first line of the press, which let them into our territory, deeper into our half. And that's always going to create threat, even if they're not attacking at pace. I agree with that. I I also thought that um, West Ham, as a team in general, they try to play a lot through the wings. Uh, They don't really rely on their double pivot in Rice and Suchek to provide a lot of the ball progression. And I thought they were going wide a lot. And um, sort of the stuff we were talking we were talking about in the Chelsea game, where um, United try to prevent, uh, sorry, try or allow the ball to go out to the wing backs without pressing them with the United's fullbacks, came up again. I thought the ball was going to the fullbacks a lot, and they were the ones who were having the space and time on the ball to sort of execute, uh, getting out of getting out of the press. And I thought, especially later in the match, uh, they had a lot of joy in wide areas. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, but I, I think that sort of goes back to that first line of the press. Once you can go around, uh, especially if you can cut out the wingers, uh, yeah. what that causes is it forces either the fullbacks to come up, uh, which I would say, A, it's, it's not the fault of the fullbacks if they get caught in these situations. But B, I felt Shaw and Dallow didn't handle those situations great. Um, they weren't poor by any stretch of the imagination. And... You know what, I'm, I'm going to do a slight aside. As this team gets better, Aaron and I are going to nitpick more um, about the details of what the team is doing poorly. Um, it's in the name. It, it's in the name. <laughs> um, so when I say they weren't as good as they could have been, I don't mean to say they were disastrous, they executed the press poorly, they defended poorly, this is a poor match. I just mean to say I felt there were instances where Sean Dallow got caught in space and they didn't manage that space very well. The other thing that uh, cutting out the wingers does early on in the press is it causes or it caused Erickson and Casemiro to pull wide. Um, generally, Casemiro is really good at managing these situations and in this match he was fine at managing them, uh, but he wasn't his typical dominant self and there were instances where West Ham were able to go vertically from the fullbacks past Casemiro interiorly into the channels, uh, yeah, into space between Lisandro and Shaw or Maguire and Lisandro, depending on the orientation of the defense, and that's when West Ham created a lot of threat. Um, so yeah, uh, ultimately, what this is a message in uh, a lesson in is team defense is about the team, right? So you, you cut out any unit. And it immediately becomes exponentially easier for the opposition side to create chances. And we saw this a lot under Solskjaer. This was, I would say, especially on the wings, uh, a really common theme. The wingers, less so executing the press poorly and more just not tracking uh, because it wasn't a priority of how Solskjaer wanted to play. The wingers wouldn't contribute uh, defensively in a, in a lot of matches, which would leave the the pivot and the fullback in a space where they needed to negotiate exchanging markers very often in wide areas. And they would do it poorly, partially because of it. It, I, it didn't appear to me to be emphasized from a coaching standpoint. I'm again, speculating there, but also partially for personnel issues. Some of the players United were playing in those positions weren't very good players. Um, and they were making a lot of mistakes and it exposed everybody uh, because once you can, create space in wide areas, you can score goals. Um, and United had really poor defensive runs uh, over and over and over again under Solskjaer. And it was sort of similar themes, but less exaggerated because it's something that's been worked on. I pretty much agree with all of that. Um, one one thing that I noticed personally in terms of dominating the match was, um, we'll talk about you know the fact that in spite of all of this, United seemed to have a pretty good grip on most of this match. But I personally wasn't particularly a fan of the substitutions. The substitutions to me showed a clear intent to sort of retreat and try and add more ground coverage as opposed to um, attacking threat. And I thought that ended in kind of sitting and allowing West Ham to attack for the remainder of the match in many ways. The first substitution being Elanga for McTominay and the second one being 
what was it? Erickson for Fred. In isolation, I don't think bringing on McTominay or Fred is a bad idea. I think my concern was more with how it was implemented because United sort of formed this like hard, deep midfield three in front of the back four that was just there to screen the back four. And I thought they could have done a little bit more with it. Like, for example, if they wanted to primarily play in transition, it might have been interesting to see something like McTominay a little bit further forward so that you can kind of hit passes at him uh, when West Ham overcommit once they need to search for the goal. And then I also thought that uh, the players who came off would be some of the ones who would orchestrate a lot of the threat in transition. Like Ericsson is often a key component of how United get the ball out of the back so quickly and get the ball up the pitch. And I thought in removing that, you kind of remove some of that security that he provides at the back. He does so many really good things, even in this match. And he adds so much control to United's play from deep with his ability to, you know, either release the ball in a few touches or not have to release the ball in a few touches because he has a sense of when he's likely to lose it versus when he isn't, which is something that United's other midfielders don't really have. And I just thought that without him and without Alanga's intensity up front, uh, United really sunk into this situation where they were giving up a lot of possession and not really taking advantage of it on the counter. Um, and, and where I think there were times when maybe, and I wouldn't say consistently, but under Solskjaer, there were matches where games would become like this, but then United would have one or two players up front who would just absolutely kill the game in transition. So it didn't really matter that United were conceding all this possession. In theory, they should be dominating the game and they should be dominating 90 minutes of games. But the fact that they were conceding lots of possession and territory often wasn't capitalized upon because United would win it back and then Bruno would go in behind to Rashford or would go in behind to whoever or Martial would pull something off and then suddenly United were 2-1 to 3-1 to 4-1 up and it wouldn't matter. Um, and, and I just thought that uh, the substitutions really leaned into the fact that the press wasn't being executed properly and attempted to solve them by way of saying, okay, you're bypassing our press, then we're going to make a block that you can't beat as opposed to going okay, they're bypassing our press. How can we make adjustments that allow us to maintain our level of dominance and security in this game in spite of the mistakes that were being made before that point? Yeah. I do think Anthony not being available off the bench played a big part in the substitutions because when I saw the the starting lineup, at this point I didn't realize that Anthony was hurt. Excuse me. Um, I assumed Anthony would be the first player off the bench. But just looking at that starting lineup, my immediate thought was the build-up structure is going to be really compromised by the absence of Anthony, which I think was true, but it's not what we're talking about. But B, Anthony executes the press, and we talked about this last week. Anthony executes this press like he's been doing it for years. The reason being, he has been doing it for years, which is to say, if he'd been available, I think he could have made a really big difference in this match. Not even because he would have scored a goal or assisted a goal, just because I think he would have allowed a more proactive change to the defensive structure as opposed to what you're talking about is which we sort of did is we bunkered down it's difficult with Anthony because I think a lot of the benefits he brings are intangible in that he has definitely I think a greater sort of um understanding of how these different pressing structures are supposed to be executed and that's not something that you can easily just go bring on Anthony because he's sort of smart in specific situations and would deal with it but I think what you see when Anthony plays is both in and out of possession, a much clearer idea of how to use the right flank. I think Anthony adds this level of sort of cohesion and ability to close down the gaps. Um, we, we spoke with John last week. John had a video in TIFO about how Anthony was often one of the players who inherited a lot of the zonal responsibilities when United are executing a hybrid press. So Ronaldo, Rashford, Bruno will often go man to man. Uh, whereas Anthony is the player who's responsible for marking two or maybe even three different players at different points, depending on the configuration that the other team is playing in and United are defending in. It's hard to kind of look at a match and go, we're missing that player who has a better situational understanding of how to stop the other team from playing out. But I think that is a massive component of what was missing without Anthony. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I was watching this match and I was like, oh, Anthony would change this match. I would say I was watching the match and I thought things look worse in terms of decision-making in the press, especially at the front. And Anthony is typically a strong point in, in, in that area. And one player can make the difference. 
it, it's tough to see sometimes because you just say, oh, the team is defending really well. But a lot of the time, or really all of the time, it flows from one player making the right decision, which makes everything else fall in place because pressing is like a domino effect. If one person makes the wrong decision or if two players press the same player, it all breaks down. I think a good thing about this is that as time goes on, Antony will naturally become less important out of possession because other players will pick up or, or start to pick up a lot of the different cues that Antony's I been agree. probably reading for years. I think that's good with respect to the press and the out of possession. The one other player that I think we wanted to talk about in this half was Harry Maguire, who started his first match in the Premier League since um, United lost to Brentford. I thought Maguire was pretty good in this game, uh, especially in the second half. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think you and I sort of disagreed about um, the substance of his performance. I think both of us agree that the, the best moments he had in this match were the last 20 minutes, right? Yeah. And, and I think what we were just talking about is United were forced deep in the last 20 minutes. For you, Aaron, how much of the uptick in the quality of his performance was down to that change in game state. So I think there's two factors, and it's hard to determine how much each plays a part. I think the first is sort of innate in-game understanding of playing within this setup. Like, we basically just took Varane out and, and, and slotted Maguire in, right? And there's a lot of differences between that and the role Maguire is playing under Solskjaer. For one, uh, and this is one thing that I think is the most obvious he's playing on the right side instead of on the left. And so his passing angles are very different. Um, in the first half, my biggest issue with Maguire was that he wasn't reading properly the cues of when to just slide the ball through the lines uh, versus carry the ball versus uh, pass it sideways. And I think that's something that he should be able to learn over time. Um, I think in the second half, he showed signs of picking it up. I he felt, was much better. Yeah. He was much better. Yeah, yeah. He was breaking lines, his diagonals were more accurate, when he carried the ball he released at the right time, it was much better. The other thing with his style now is that last, or under Solskjaer, he was primarily the aggressive defender. And this is a big sort of overarching thing in Maguire's game, is that he's not physically fast, but he is the aggressor in defense, which creates this sort of strange, like, how do we perceive aggressive defenders because... He doesn't step up particularly quickly. It's all about timing and executing properly. And his margin for error is probably smaller than someone like Lissandro, who's now playing the more aggressive role. And I thought he made a couple of mistakes in the first half where he mistimed his action and tried to be proactive. And then it led to West Ham bypassing him, which is a massive problem that can't happen. Um, the other factor that I think that you just asked about that contributes a lot to Maguire's performance is the style of the team. When United were sort of bunkering and, and defending their lead, that was when Maguire shone the most. And yes, I do think that plays a big part in Maguire's ability because a huge part of his ability is defending actions that are coming towards him, especially aerially. Maguire is one of the most dominant defenders in the air historically, and I thought that was really obvious. He's good within small spaces at getting in front of things, um, making blocks, making clearances. Um, these are strengths that are fundamental to Maguire's game. So I think he's always going to look really, really important when United are defending in these deep shapes, especially against teams that love to cross the ball, which West Ham, their attacking method is pretty much crossing the ball for days, right? Um, where I don't think that is a long-term thing necessarily is, while I do think that's the strongest area of his game, I don't think that means that playing in a high line is a weakness in his game. Um, in the past, we've seen Maguire play well in high lines with out-of-possession structures that were executed worse. So while I do think he might be stronger in these sort of lower blocks, I don't think it's it means he can't play in a high line. I think that's a myth. I Overall, I think what I hope Maguire gets is time because I think by the end of this season, if he's given consistent minutes and time to get back to his fitness we'll likely see what we saw with rashford with we had, we've seen signs of martial of these players and and shaw especially shaw's been great lately these players who were struggling for fitness and confidence 
in the last sort of year and a half, especially since the Euros. And now we're getting that back. Um, whether he's as good as Varane, I don't know. I think his value might be more useful in a high-end possession system in possession. I think Varane's clearly a better defender out of possession. But basically, there's two key considerations here, right? One is how suited and how mentally ready is he to play in this system? Because I think that's something that can improve. And how much is his performance due to system changes uh, or system differences or game state differences, um, which is something that won't be fixed if, for example, you think that he only plays well when plays up against him. I agree that we've seen McGuire play really well for United. Um, and I agree that not all of that has been bunkered down. I think I've seen some people suggest that, especially Solstar's first season, United were bet, so, like, were good defensively because they were so conservative in their defensive line height and how they played out of possession. While I agree to some extent, that um, Solskjaer's out of like the the out of possession approach under Solskjaer was more conservative than it is now. It still wasn't like United were playing a low block and seeing teams out that way. United had most of the ball in most games, um, which like necessitates your defenders standing on the halfway line. Um, I wouldn't say United played like a high line under Solskjaer. I would say it was more like a it was a, a, a low high line or a high mid block. I don't, I'm not sure which you would say it, but you would call it. But the, the press wasn't proactive enough from the front in most phases for the defensive line to follow high up. It was, uh, so I wouldn't say it was a high block. Point number one. Not, not sure that's actually that important, but anyway. Point number two. I agree with you. If McGuire were given time, he would be a, a good player for this team. But I think I've said earlier this season that at this point, the relationship with the fan base is such that the path is really fraught. The moment United concede with him on the pitch and drop points because of it, the narrative on him will flip, regardless of how well he's played. And this wasn't a perfect match um, that he played this past weekend. So I think there's a decent chance that if he plays again, United will concede, uh, whether through his... Whether because he makes a mistake or because he doesn't, and we'll be back at square one, or even worse, behind square one, uh, because he won't have had this extended period out of the, the squad to sort of get his head right and get away from the spotlight. I, th- I thought it was fine for Maguire. Uh, ultimately, I think Veron comes back into this team, and I think that's for the best. Even though I, I, I would love to see Maguire succeed under new management, because I think, I, I agree. I think, he was often failed by the out-of-possession structure these past few years. Obviously, he made a lot of high-profile errors, and it, it wasn't all on his teammates by any means. But it'll, it would be interesting to see what he looks like with a better out-of-possession structure around him, no doubt about it. I, I tend to agree about Varane coming back into the team, to be clear. I think he's currently playing behind two of the most informed defenders in the game, really. Um, and Lissandro and Varane, like they've been excellent this season whenever they've played. Um, and I don't think he showed anything near what I would consider a level to disrupt that. I think where my personal sort of one, Varane is not consistently fit and United need a squad. So if they can't get Maguire back into shape, they're going to have to cut their losses and get someone who they can rely on to come in when Varane is injured. That's point one. Point two is, okay, maybe this is maybe this is a little bit conceited, but I feel like the reason why we exist as a podcast and why people listen to us versus everyone else and why I want to do this is because I feel that if fan narratives can wrongly have that much negative influence on the playing state of a current player who is playing every week, and captaining and captaining the club i think that should at least come from a place of objectivity about the performances in question and 
I don't think Maguire has been anywhere near as good as he was in his first two seasons at United or even at Leicester. But I do think that if he's going to not make it at United, it should be because he actually cannot play in the system. So reason two and not reason one, which is lack of settlement around his mental state and whether people support the fact that he's playing for the club, right? And I think because of that, what I want to see and what I hope to see and what I'm increasingly less hopeful of happening is him just having this clean bill of health and consistent flow of matches where the team is in a good setup and he is able to play his game and try and find his form again. So regardless of, you know, fan favor, I think I'm going to try and have that level of objectivity, regardless of whether I think it's possible for him or not, and hope that that influence goes to other people and he's in general treated with more sincerity. Because nothing's stopping Maguire from getting replaced with someone else who becomes the next scapegoat, right? Like, there are, you can always do this with individual players. Um, and I'm not saying Maguire has been good. And even even yesterday in the game, I think I was hearing people in the stadium getting concerned every time he got the ball. And it's like, how is you expressing audible concern at a United defender being pressed going to help the situation? Like, what are you doing? It's just moving favor against your own team. And I don't see the productivity in that. So I've kind of rambled a lot here, but... I hope that there's a level of objectivity with this run that he's going to have in the team now and not just constant slandering and memeing him regardless of what he actually does. I know you know that, but I just wanted to say it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, my concern, the, the concern I'm putting emphasis on is he's going to have to get lucky in that results are going to have to be really good with him on the pitch. And he's also going to have to not look awkward when he plays. Neither of those things are just down to how he plays. If he plays really poorly, United might win or they might lose. If he plays really well, United might concede or they might not concede. But he's just going to have to be perfect to even come to a point where he's not talked about. Um, and I'm not optimistic about that happening, even though I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm on your side. I think he's yeah, going to, we're both in agreement here. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know if it will ultimately be worth it for him and for the club to like fight this fight to the end when there might be a more elegant exit, uh, at some point in the coming windows. Um, and that's, but you know what? You're absolutely right. We're going to see it play out. No, I, I totally get what you're saying. I just, I, when discussing this on a podcast that we make where we intend to have a level of objectivity and non sort of emotional reaction to the detriment of the team or, or the way the team is talked about in public discourse, I just felt the need to disclaim that even though I think it's going to be difficult for this sort of entire thing to be fixed. I want to see objective and I will objectively try to discuss McGuire on this podcast. Um, I think we should take it to a break because there's some stuff in the West Ham match that we want to talk about and probably a little bit about the Sheriff match <laughs> or one particular thing that we've been avoiding talking about. So stay tuned for that. And welcome back. There is a subject that we have not wanted to talk about that much, but it feels like it's becoming increasingly topical given that United's all-round performances are getting better. We strongly implied that, in spite of some of the mistakes that United were making out of possession, they were quite dominant in this game, but in my opinion, it doesn't show up on the scoreline, and if you were to look at the shot numbers, it doesn't show up in that either, and it doesn't really show up in United's overall creation in this game. Why is that? So we've talked... All season long, sort of, about how United's 
center forward position has been a revolving door uh, and how we feel that there's inadequate profiles at that position for United to get the results that they need, especially against teams that uh, defend in, in lower structures, um, which is to say in, in, a, in a deep block. I've got that in parentheses because what does that mean? Not really important. Just think about sides that aren't going to press you really high. United don't have a center forward who's hyper-effective in those situations. That played out in more ways than one in this match. Um, to put it frank, to put it frankly, because Cristiano Ronaldo played so poorly. And, and, and that's in multiple different phases. And so Aaron said this, but we've been avoiding talking about this because we don't want to sound like we're singling him out. Aaron and I both have our own personal thoughts about Ronaldo. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about a couple of things that just... Uh, tendencies in his game, and then also how his ability on the pitch has changed that caused him to be significantly less effective than he was earlier in his career. So let's start by talking about, first... The aspects of a striker that United would ideally have that Ronaldo is perhaps not living up to in his current game. And then from there, we're going to go into a little bit more about how he compares to the other options that are currently available for United. So let's start with some of the more general striker stuff. We've talked a lot about the role of an optimal striker in this team, someone who occupies the last line, a lot of sort of moves within the width of the two boxes, plays exclusively sort of for the purpose of disrupting the opposition's center backs and gets into positions to consistently score goals in the penalty box. Ronaldo, as a player, is not exactly that. So let's start there. Yeah, so we have this idea of what United need. And I'm not going to say in the ideal center forward, even though I think Aaron and I feel that that's the truth. I'll say... From a center forward that United fields in matches where opposition defenses sit deep. Um, Aaron just said a couple of them. Uh, A, uh, box occupation. Uh, Really what this is, is playing high and between the opposition center backs, even in phases of possession where that means you're not a passing option. It's, It's basically about... You've probably heard about uh, high and wide wingers, right? Uh, and how it's important to maintain width uh, when you're attacking. The same is true of maintaining depth. And the way when an opposition defense is sitting deep, lacking like the way a center forward can affect that is if you have a center forward playing between the opposition center backs, it drags them deeper, and as a result, it either drags the entire block deeper, which leaves space for shots, or it will drag the center backs away from the line in front of and beside them, which is to say their fullbacks and their midfielders, which leaves space to play the ball to the center forward, to get shots off, or to shoot again. I'm going to add to that. Um, another thing I will say is it also adds the element of risk associated with everything the defenders have to do. So firstly, they have to constantly micro adjust to make sure that they're playing properly to defend the forwards movements. So often what you'll see elite center forwards do is stand offside because that forces the defenders to watch their shoulder. Is he offside? Is he still offside? And then make a last minute movement back. And Ronaldo does this sometimes, but not consistently. The other thing it does is when the ball comes into players in central spaces, and we've talked about this a lot, how players like Bruno, players like Sancho, players like Anthony, they're struggling a little bit to receive the ball in these tight spaces in the middle of the pitch. A big element of that is that deeper opposition players have more freedom to step out of their position or step out and make defensive interventions to win the ball from those players receiving in those areas, regardless of their weaknesses, And each of them have different weaknesses. And they're able to do that with more comfort because there's no center forward that they have to worry about. Because in one way, if the ball is coming to Bruno, let's say, behind a defensive midfielder, 
and the center backs are not being occupied by the striker, they can press Bruno and win the ball back, right? But if Ronaldo's there or, or a striker's there, they have to worry about what happens if Bruno can get one touch away from me, right? What happens if, and this is something Bruno does often, is what if Bruno flicks the ball beyond him and there's someone running in behind, right? So having someone who can maintain this depth is something we both see as whether it comes to the center forward or not. I think maybe we have slightly different opinions about how much that has to come from the center forward, but that's crucially important to being able to break down these defenses over time and wear down opposition blocks. Yeah, so those are great examples of how, in in practice, uh, the absence of uh, a box-occupying center forward uh, affects your ability to create chances against a block. Uh, Ronaldo... And I think if you've watched the matches, you'll agree with this. Ronaldo does not is not disciplined about box occupation. There's certain phases of play where he recognizes that he has there's an opportunity to score goals, and he will occupy spaces in the box and make runs in the box. Uh, especially deep crossing situations, he'll often drift towards the back post. Um, that's box occupation. That's what we're talking about. But in other phases where he doesn't uh, recognize that there's an immediate opportunity for delivery, he'll drop really deep. Uh, and I think this was actually talked about in one of the post-match co- uh, press conferences, uh, where essentially uh, in this match, the, the objective was to get Cristiano to be more de- deliberate about when he drops deep, uh, to drop deep later on when you, when United have possession to allow for runs beyond him rather than sort of aimlessly dropping deep just for dialogue with the, the with United's midfielders. That didn't really work out that way. Um, this is something he still doesn't really do well. And, and it's having huge trickle-down effects on United's ability to create chances in the box. You saw this, you'll see this often, where Ronaldo is in the same position as another one of United's more withdrawn attackers uh, happens a lot with Rashford happens with Bruno sometimes um, this is because Ronaldo spent most of his career as a secondary runner uh, he ha- he's not a box occupier uh, even at Real Madrid he was usually part of like what was nominally a front three but was really a front two with him and Benzema um, and he had a lot of free freedom to drift around he still plays that way even though that's no longer his role and he doesn't really have the technical skills anymore to make the most of it. Um, and so that means he's tripping, literally tripping over his own players sometimes. Yes. Okay, so let's transition now, where we talk a little bit more about... We we have made it very clear that neither of us think United have the ideal center forward right now to play the way they want to play, both stylistically or in terms of quality. Um, and we've discussed solutions maybe where both on and off the podcast, United signs someone who is so good that they compensate for that, or they sign someone who fits the system directly. Let's talk a little bit about a scenario where United don't have the ideal options. They indulge Ronaldo with the knowledge that, you know, he scores a lot of goals. Um, and they believe that if you can get the best out of Ronaldo by playing him in a role where he maybe is a secondary runner, has license to drop deep, if, if he has those licenses, he can be this player who has the impact that he used to. Why is that not the case anymore? And why is playing Ronaldo in those roles problematic? One thing, if you've watched United this season uh, a lot, which I'm sure most of our listeners have, is you'll notice that Ronaldo really struggles to turn touches into shots. Uh, and when I say shots, I don't mean just like any shot. I mean quality shots. When he receives the ball, um, running in behind, uh, if there's a defender still tracking him, he has a lot of trouble losing that defender or creating a half space to, sh- to shoot a good shot from. This is ultimately down to, I think, a loss in agility. Uh, but that loss in agility has affected his technical game all around. You'll see a lot of the time he, when he's receiving the ball in transition, he doesn't have any faith in himself to play the ball forward, even simple passes to other forwards. And so if there isn't like a very, very simple immediate option, 
he'll turn the ball around and just totally kill the transition. So what you're really seeing is like a, a multi-step process. A decline in his agility is affecting his ability to be direct. And it's also affecting his, his technical ability, which is making him take more conservative decisions because of a lack of faith in his technical ability. So all of that is to say, why wouldn't you play Ronaldo in a position where he's not the focal point? It's because he just does not have the technical on-ball ability anymore to influence matches when he's touching the ball in high volume. We really don't want to harp on this, or rather we don't want to single him out, but this is something we've been avoiding talking about all season, mostly because it hasn't been that relevant. He hasn't been playing that often. But I think in this West Ham match, it was particularly noteworthy because especially in the second half, there were a lot of transition opportunities where things just broke down and it was either because Ronaldo was occupying the wrong spaces, which again is, is a box occupation thing, is a, is a center forward tendency thing, or he was receiving the ball and he just couldn't execute. He couldn't beat a man or drive forward or play a pass. That was going to split the, def the, the defense open. Or even splitting the defense open isn't necessary sometimes. Sometimes it's just keeping the ball moving forward. So, number one, his ability to execute in possession and be a threat to the opposition by doing anything other than scoring goals is completely gone, right? Where in the past he might have been an able dribbler, uh, to some extent an able creator, now that's no longer in his game. Number two, his decision-making has issues have been exacerbated by that, right? He makes more opportunistic decisions as a result of his inability to execute actions that he did before. He is unable to execute actions where he would have been able to before and has not adjusted the decisions he makes in his game to accommodate for that, to adapt. Well, I think now he is adjusting and it means he's become hyper-conservative in transition in maybe transition maybe. situations um, um and then number three he his decisions one hurt the ability to take uh, to generate better attacks and two suppress the quality of shots that both he's able to take and generate um we talked about rashford's two chances against spurs i like that example the number one where he has a chance to increase the shot quality by taking a touch and going closer to Larice, and the number two where he can take a better shot and by improving his technique or having or having a player with better technique he can score more of those chances and that's fine i'm not saying rashford needs to be a better finisher the point being ronaldo is now falling into this trap where he is both one reduced he has a reduced execution finishing chances because of his inability to sort out his feet and take a good shot. And number two, he's suppressing the quality of his shots by not having the ability to turn good positions into opportunities where he has a look at goal. And so he has not only lost his effectiveness outside his goal scoring game, but has also massively lost his ability to succeed within a limited goal scoring game. And I think that's what you see most of the time now. United still lack this striker presence, but they also have a player who fundamentally cannot execute at this level anymore. And because of that, not only are they lacking the ability to tactically kill off games in the final third, but they're also lacking the high-end execution that big teams tend to have in possession. Yeah, so ultimately what this comes down to is he's still going to play because United needs somebody to play center forward minutes. Uh, and they really only have two players who are healthy uh, or consistently healthy who can do that, and he's one of them. However, I'm at a point where I don't think there's any match where he's better than Rashford uh, in this position. Uh, and I say that partially because I think Rashford has made some minor steps forward in off-ball play in the box, but more than anything... It's because there's no aspect of center forward play that Ronaldo now does at an above average level relative to the Premier League. Um, I wanted to talk about one more thing we forgot to do in the first half, 
And it's kind of related. We You spoke a little bit there about how Rashford might be more effective in this center forward role. But I thought he actually looked really good as a winger in this game. That goal was great. I don't associate Rashford with headers like that. And I know he's now scored two in a row. Yeah. How do you think that influences uh, Rashford's prospects long term? And do you think maybe we should be going out of our way to get Rashford in at left wing? Yeah, I mean, I think... United's best lineup right now involves Rashford at left wing, Martial at center forward, and Anthony at right wing. I agree with that. I am still skeptical that Rashford has made permanent strides in his off-ball game in uh, the final third against settled defensive shapes. But if he does, and if he has, that completely changes who he is as a player. Because he goes from a player who's hyper-effective against high lines and in space, is honestly sub-elite against settled defenses, and I would I would say even a little bit worse than sub-elite. He's really a good, but far from great player in those situations. If he were to consistently make quality runs uh, in the final third against these settled defensive shapes, it, it just elevates who he is as a player. He becomes an every week, you cannot drop him left winger. Um, which if he can be that, is a huge boon for this team. And I think it would basically just be... Basically, if he can if he can add this to his game, he fulfills his potential in my eyes. I agree with that. It's a big if. And even in this match, he did some things in the final third where I was like, what are you doing? But it's a big step forward if he can keep on scoring goals like that. Yeah, I agree with the skepticism. I agree with the assessment of his game and how this could change it. I'm not... I'm waiting to see more to see if it actually has. I'm somewhat questioning if he does change his game this quickly, what the past mentors... What the hell was happening under Solskjaer? And Mourinho, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll take it at this point. If you shift Rashford to left wing, he keeps having output like he's had this season, and he keeps on showing development at left wing. It's the biggest jump he's made since the first Solskjaer season. Um, and I would even argue it's a more meaningful jump than the jump he made that season, because we always knew Rashford could kill teams in transition. What he has not ever consistently done is beat settled defensive shapes. And that was the big question mark his whole career. Yeah, and, and it would be a, a really positive way to answer that question. Awesome. I think on that note, we should call it a day. Yeah, I think so. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.